Hey, this is Michael Scobie. We're so honored that you're tuned into our podcast today. Whether you're part of our Vibrant Church family in person or online, I want to encourage you to connect with us on social media. Just search Vibrant HTX on all social media markets. You can also go to VibrantHTX.com to hear about things going on, connect with a life group, or even get to know some of our pastoral team. We pray this message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you make your next step in following Jesus. Let's jump into the message. Vibrant Church, let me hear from you. Are you excited to be here this Sunday morning? Man, why don't you just high five somebody next to you and tell them, I'm glad I came to church. Man, I'm glad I came to church today. Uh, I know Pastor Sean mentioned it earlier, but I want to give a big, vibrant welcome to all of our first-time guests. Come on, give it up like crazy. We're glad that you're here. We know you could have been thousands of places, but you chose to be here today, and it's absolutely our honor that you chose to be here. We've got a lot of things going on. We're a moving church. We're we're, we're, uh, getting going. Last week, we announced that On Easter Sunday, we are going to two services. Y'all excited about that? Excited about that? What times are the services? All right, that was like 40% class participation. We're going to have to work on this, okay? All right, so what time are the services? 9, 15, and 11 o'clock. Here's the deal. Here's the challenge is that on Easter Sunday, I want you to fill every one of these chairs, okay? We're going to double the services, so we're going to double the open chairs. I'm guaranteeing you there will be an open space, but I just need you to fill the space. Anybody going to take the challenge with me? Anybody going to take the, come on, I need to see you. Are you going to take the challenge with me? I, come on now. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we have something very special coming up. They mentioned it in the news, but I want to reiterate our family movie night. It's a great opportunity for you to invite somebody that maybe doesn't want to come to church on a Sunday morning, but they want to know what church is all about. Come, bring them to family movie night. It's just a big, it is exactly what it says it is. There's no false advertising here. It's literally just a family movie night. We will have kids everywhere. They'll be laying out here. I, I don't, I, kids hanging from the ceiling. I don't know. It's going to be everywhere. Um, I, <laughs> uh, watching the movie, it's going to be a great time. We'll feed them a bunch of Coke and, uh, and, and popcorn, and then we'll send them home to you. And, uh, and we might give them some M&Ms and stuff. I, I, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's going to be a great time. You'll enjoy it. How about the students? Y'all getting loud during the news. I, I see you. I see you. We're about to get loud for some old people like too. So let's figure out. We'll put something in the news. But um, So we're in the final week of a series called. All right. So here's. let me just let you know how things are going to go today. Um, <laughs> we, we're a talk back church. So uh, the way this works is I talk and then you talk back to me. So if you like something, you say amen, all right? So like the Cowboys. Ah, see, that was a test. Now see, all right, yeah, yeah. So, all right, so amen. But if you don't like something, just don't say nothing. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I I want y'all to preach with me today. We're going to preach together. This is the last week we're going to talk about relationships uh, for a little while so you can kind of get, like, uncomfortable, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> after this week, but the whole thesis of this series is that um, great relationships are possible, but not probable. Possible, but not probable. The world's way has become so common in relationships that it's, it's kind of uh, retrained our minds that we've begun to think that that's the right way. We believe that that's the right way because it's the only thing that we've ever seen. In other words, relationships that are uncommon, that are healthy, require work and and effort on our part 
to cause them to be what God wants them to be, right? It requires work for that to happen. And, and the, the entire series has been based off of this one portion of Scripture, and we've read it to you pretty much in a different, a different version every week. And so today I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation, but it's Romans 12 and 2, and we'll have it on the screen. It says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. We talked a lot about the customs, uh, but let God transform you. There's a movement that happens. It's something that changes you, right, into a new person by changing the way that you think. Well, we do that. We let God change us, but what do we get? What is the, what is the carrot? What is the return on investment when we do that? Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Anybody want to know God's will for your life? I do. I want to know what God's will for right now and for my next season, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The road to common relationships, uh, to uncommon ones, from common to uncommon, begins with transformation of the mind. It begins with transformation of the mind. I've got to let God transform me. In fact, I wish that you would say that out loud. Say, let God transform me. Not your wife. Not, yo, you don't have to say that out loud. It's okay. <laughs> not your husband, not your boyfriend, not the coworker that you really don't like, and not your crazy Uncle Eddie because we all got one, okay? But let God transform me, 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 me. Many say, I've tried to get relationships to work, but let me ask you, have you let God transform you first? It's not about retraining us, but it's about God transforming us. Uncommon love, we talked about in the first week, uncommon commitment. And then last week, didn't Pastor Sean doing a marvelous job uh, talking about communication last week? Give it up for Pastor Sean. Didn't you do an amazing job? If you missed it, I'm telling you, go back. It's on our podcast. It's on YouTube. Go check it out. Go share it. Um, share it with the person that you're having trouble com- you know, communicating with. I mean, what's the Today, we're going to talk about uncommon conflict. Conflict. Conflict is really inevitable. It's inevitable, okay? Especially when you're married. Uh, one man said that marriage is like a deck of cards. Uh, it starts out with two hearts, a diamond, and by the end, you've got a club and a spade. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Now, God has a unique perspective on conflict, God has a unique perspective on conflict. And so the four causes of conflict is, number one, poor communication. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we talked about it last week, and you can go review Pastor Sean's message. But most conflict starts out with something small, starts out with something small, and then we make it worse by the words that we use, right? Just go review last week. But one man said, He told his wife, he said, I can't believe that you could be so beautiful and so stupid at the same time. She said, well, let me explain. God made me beautiful, so you'd be attracted to me. And God made me stupid, so I'd be attracted to you. (laughs) Psalms, Psalms 141 verse 3 gives us an insight on how to communicate. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The door of my lips. Every response in conflict starts with us going to God with it first. Every time. That's better than what y'all just amen. Every response starts with us going to God first. Number two, 
unfulfilled expectations, all anger begins right here. All anger that you'll ever experience in life begins right here. The word says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I, I wanted something and I didn't get it. So now I'm frustrated. Now I'm mad, right? James 4, 1 and 2 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire what you do not have, so you kill. You covet what you cannot get, what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. See, life is this revolving door of I want something, I don't get it, so now I'm mad about it. Perfect example, I feel like I deserve Rayford Road to be completely free of cars when I'm on it. And construction. No bulldozers, no, none of that mess, okay? I feel like I deserve that. But when I don't get it, and they install 47 red lights in a half-mile stint, and they're all under construction, every one of them, right? I feel like I, I deserve that, and I get mad. I get home, and I feel like after work, I feel like I deserve some peace and quiet, and I sit down in my recliner, and I turn the TV on, I turn Sports Center on, and then my neighbor has this really loud dog. Come on, somebody. And it just starts barking, and it starts barking. And I just laid my, my one-year-old down for a nap, and that dog started barking. It woke my one-year-old. Oh, oh, okay. Now we're getting real, right? I felt like I deserved a little break. But now, I didn't get that, and it makes me upset. I wanted something, I didn't get it, and the response is, in the word, it says the response is to kill and to covet, to kill and to covet. Now, I'm not going that far, but we do kill with our words because anger leads us there. We don't necessarily kill with guns and spears, but we kill with our words. We kill and we covet. Number three, despising differences despising differences. See, the truth is, is that all of us are different in some way or some uh, form, and we love that when we're dating, right? Especially dudes, you know, you hear something that, you meet that girl that, that is, you know, there's something about her that is different than you, and you're like, oh yeah, see, opposites attract. We're meant to be together, baby. Come on now. We're meant to be together, right? It's, we love that, but then we get married. And then, then you start to hate the differences that you enjoyed when you were dating, right? For instance, you're hot and she cold. Some of y'all married folk, you, you laughing or you're a little nervous right now because, okay? Perfect example is you want to spend, but she wants to save. You want torchies and she wants chewies. Just put it on some realistic terms here. Come on. All right? The opposites can irritate you or they can be something that you value. They can irritate you. We, here's the deal is we can't all be the same and that's okay. God made us different, but we've got to value and understand our differences. We get it in football, right? Not all the dudes on the team. I, I love the dude that's 350 pounds. I'm never going to get in a fight with him. Not one time. He wins. Every time I'm just going to give it up. But not all 11 dudes on the football team can be 350 pounds. Y'all going to lose a bunch of games if you do that, right? Y'all going to lose a bunch of games. At some point, you need a little skinny dude in the, back, the backfield that can run real fast. At some point, you need a really tall dude 
that makes really good decisions that can throw the ball to somebody. You need a really fast, tall dude that can catch the ball, right? Not all the guys can be 350 pounds. And here's the deal is in our relationships, we feel like, well, you're not like me, instant conflict. Why don't you value the differences that God already installed? Why don't you value the differences that God already installed in your marriage? God already installed that in your kids. Come on, somebody. All right? At some point, the differences must be valued to make you better. They must be valued to make you better. Mark 3 and 25 says, And if a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. Babe, I don't know why you see it that way. Right there, there's a moment. There's a fork in the road. I can go, I don't know why you see it that way. I'm not going to choose to try to see it that way. Or, I don't know why you see it that way. Try to help me understand why you see it that way. That's how we resolve conflict in our homes. That's how we do that. And number four, this probably encompasses all of these four together, okay? If I was gonna start one, I'd probably start with number four, which I know really messes with you OCD people, so I'm sorry. Uh, But I would probably start with this one, and the number four is sin nature. Sin nature. People are a fallen race, and we are all sinners. I need you to understand that, that even me as your pastor, I'm a sinner, right? You're a sinner. We are all sinners. We're fallen from, uh, from grace. And, and, uh, but the problem comes in is when we hold ourselves to a standard of grace, but then we hold everybody else to a standard of perfection. That's where our sin nature comes in, and it becomes a problem. Because Romans 3 and 23 says, for all, everybody said that's me, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, I don't expect you to get it right all the time. God doesn't expect you to get it right all the time. But some of you came to church today expecting me to tell you how to get them to agree with you and make you right all the time. And that's just not what resolving conflict is. Resolving conflict, it's about getting your heart right with God first and then walking in wisdom. My pastor says it like this. It's about the posture of the heart. Where is your heart? I can sit down with somebody and in 10 minutes know what the problem is because it's either a problem or it's a posture problem, right? What is the posture of your heart? Let me give you a real life example. Those of you with kids, have you ever walked in on your kid talking back to you to himself? Oh, no, y'all hadn't? Y'all hadn't? Me me neither, me neither. Right? What's the problem? The problem is not that he says, oh, well, I think my toys are just fine all over the playroom. I think my little people can be wherever they want to. It's their house too. It's not about him thinking that. It's about the posture of his heart. If he were to come to me and say, Dad, I really feel like my fire, my, my, my little people fire truck should sit right in the middle of the living room. We might could have a real life conversation and negotiate here. But when I walk into the room and I almost get hit with said fire truck, the posture becomes a problem, right? Posture is a thing. It's an issue for us. When you walk into conflict, what is the posture of your heart? 
What is the posture of your heart? It is all about that. And here's the deal. Husbands, wives, sons, daughters, even if you don't like things, even if situations are not great, even if you're not on top of the mountain, even when arguments in your life and in your home are common right now. What is the posture of your heart even when your sex life is in a rough season? Married people, y'all need to work on that. Students, y'all don't. Just making sure it's home. Married people, y'all need to work on that. And let me just tell you, can I, can I give you a little biblical wisdom here? Married people, if your sex life is in a funk, don't leave it there. Because that's the first foothold the enemy is going to try to get to. Right? You better get home. And I talked about it on the second week of this church. Y'all need to get home and take some Sunday naps. Come on, somebody. Okay? All right? You need to go work on it. Y'all need, I'm telling you, y'all need to go work on it because the enemy, especially in 2020, the year of our Lord, the enemy will come against your sex life. And if he can get a foothold in in your sex life, he can pretty much get a hold on anything else. You know, in our culture today, the posture of our heart is so important. And and I'll just tell you, you can't have a, a, your heart posture uh, healthy before God and also be addicted to pornography. The statistics say that 60% of the people in this room are probably watching pornography on a consistent basis, which is why that amen was probably like, but I just want to tell you from a position of grace that you may not have done everything right. You may have not protected your purity. Young people, you may have not. See, you like that pause right there? Y'all got real nervous. You like that? Let me just tell all my young people and all my single people in the room. Ladies, don't give up something he's not willing to commit to. Don't give up something that he's not. I'm just going to make sure that I'm on my notes here. I just got to make sure. Here's the deal. It's not just about sex. It's not just about pornography. It's not just about all of these things. It's about where your heart is is because sex is spiritual. It's not just pornography because you're connecting your heart to somebody that you don't even know that is a child of God that you'll never meet that was somebody else's. It's not just about going to the club and meeting that girl and she's like, ooh, she's fine. And it's not, it's, it's not just all about that. I don't know how many clubs we got in the hoodlands, but I, I, I'm just... But here's the deal. It's not just about that. It's not just about the sexual activity, but because when we connect to that person, we're connected forever. Sin is the ultimate source of conflicts, uh, of conflict in relationships. Can I get an amen? Sin is the ultimate source. Those of you that have, maybe you, you haven't built those boundaries and you've fallen, I just want to tell you from a position of grace, Today's not too late to build those boundaries. I'm not going to leave you on the edge of the cliff and say, well, this is wrong. No, yes, that's wrong, but we serve a God that is full of grace and mercy, and now is your time to step back in. Now is your time to be forgiven and step back into that, but you got to make a move. you got to make a move. I'm going to give you four ways to deal with conflict, and I'm going to get off sex because y'all are really nervous. So, um, Anyhow. <clears throat> Four ways to deal with conflict. Number way, number one, my way. 
I'm the boss. I'm the dad. Line up, submit. That's so, never use that word in an argument, husbands. Never. Never, never. I know it's in the Bible. Don't use it. Don't, don't, don't use it, okay? Number two, your way. Some of you thought for the sake of peace that you would just suck it up and deal with it. And now you're in a position where you're no, more miserable now than you've ever been in your life because you've, you've, you've just deferred. Your way. Your way. Number three, halfway. You split it down the middle and you take one, I'll take one, and now you're just angry 50% of the time. Right? Then, number four is God's way. And it seems simple, it seems elementary, but this is what I want to bring to you every week. This is what I hope to preach to you every week. Transforming our mind and changing ourselves by the way that God has given us. This is what I hope to preach to you every week. And God's way can be summed up in one sentence. I first go to him and let him do a work inside of me. I, I, I mean, y'all go home. That's it. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not done. I, they got 15 minutes left on my time. That's, that's the truth here. You know, the, <laughs> I heard one pastor say it this way. He was counseling couples through conflict. And he'd say, he told them, he said, I want you to table this issue and I want you to go home and both of you get close to God together and then come back and we'll talk. And nine out of 10 times that solves the issue because the issue is most of the time never the issue. Ecclesiastes 3 uh, verse one and five says, there are a time, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There is a time and a way to handle everything you encounter. There is a choice. Now, when the Bible refers to gathering stones, it's in reference to building an altar, right? You can use that, those stones to throw at somebody you're in conflict with, or you can use the stones to build an altar. Let me give you a biblical example. In the Old Testament, Jacob finds Rachel, who's, he in, lo who's he's in love with, right? And uh, she was the second born, and he goes to the dad, and he asks for her hand, and he, uh, he says, well, you can have her hand, but you've got to work seven years. So he works seven years for him, and Laman, the father-in-law, um, sends Leah on the, the honeymoon night instead. And uh, she apparently was not as good, good looking as Rachel, okay? And uh, the funny part is Jacob didn't even notice until the next morning, but that's a whole different story. Um, but he goes to Laman and he says, hey, bro, you tricked me. You tricked me. The, the deal was he couldn't give his youngest away first, right? He, so he had to give his oldest away. And so uh, what happened is he had to work seven more years. And in fact, he ended up working total 20 years. And it was a very bad relationship between he and his father-in-law. And so Jacob had had enough and he decides he's going to take his wives and his stuff and his ball and go home, right? <laughs> he decides he's going to take his stuff and go and uh, they pack up in the middle of the night and they leave and, and Laman actually chases him down and there's this big time of conflict right here, all the families around. Imagine um, all of your family all at one time are really mad at each other. So pretty much every family reunion, right? And so everybody's there and they're out in the middle of this field and look at what happens. God has to do a work on the inside of Jacob and this is the result. Genesis 31, chapter, or chapter 31, verse 46, he says to his relatives, gather some stones, 
So they took the stones, and this is the pivotal moment here. Did they stone each other? No. They took the stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Food changes everything. Come on, somebody. How about we make an altar, he said. How about we take these stones and we make an altar? If I can put my message in a sentence, I would say it just like that. How about we make an altar? Before you try to resolve any conflict with another person, you better make an altar and let God work on the inside of you. Some of you have been trapped in conflict because you've said there can never be peace until they draw the line. You have put that situation in, in charge of your peace. Conflict, here's the deal, and I want you to write this down. They're going to put it on the screen. Take a picture of it. Write it down. Whatever you got to do. Conflict cannot continue without my participation. If you build the altar and say, God, bring peace, God will bring peace. But if you choose to pick up the stones and throw the stones, there will not be peace. It cannot happen. Let God transform your mind and how you approach conflict. Well, pastor, that's not going to work. You don't, know, you don't know my life. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my people. This is... Let me just tell you, this is the deep end of the pool. Okay, this is the deep end of the preaching pool. You have to let God change you. And that's something I can't do. That's something great worship leading can't do. That's something any program that this church has cannot do. But you have to let God do it. See, God is not a genie. God is not like this. You rub the genie and it's like, okay, God, make them agree with me. Do it. In Jesus' name. That's not biblical. That's not biblical, right? The biblical thought is this. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What you have to do is kill your own expectations and let God heal your heart. You've got to begin to kill... You got to kill the unhealthy desires inside of you. That's why fasting is so important. On a consistent basis, not just when we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting, but fasting is important because you're killing the unhealthy desires in your own mind and body. Here's the deal is dead people don't get mad. They dead. They don't get jealous, they dead. They don't get angry, they dead. It don't happen, right? Paul said that I die daily. And that obviously doesn't mean that he's completely dead, but he's killing his flesh and the unhealthy desires inside of himself. We've got to build the altar to kill the desire. Man, that's good. I wish I'd write that now. We've got to build the altar to kill the desire. You've got to start picking, go back and pick up some stones. And instead of throwing them at your wife or your husband or your kids, start building an altar in your living room and saying, we're going to pray about this. We're going to join together in faith and see what God does. Let me give you a few ways to handle, very practical ways to handle um, conflict. I've got about 10 minutes left. I'm going to give you some practical ways here. Number one, I will act and not react. In fact, I don't know of anybody that is a reactionary person that is a healthy person. You've got parents, married people, 
people that are thinking about getting married, you've got to, you've got to make some pre-planned decisions before you ever fight. A pre-fight plan, if you will. Right? Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Pause. If you go to bed and you're mad, waking up in the morning is not going to change that you're mad. Okay? And it's definitely not going to help your sex life. Sorry, I didn't mean to get you uncomfortable again. Okay? Not going to help it. Okay? Husband, you better kiss that girl before you go to bed. Okay? All right? I'm just saying. Let me give you some real life examples. Number one, when you're facing conflict, never put it off. Never put it off. Oh, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it next week. We'll talk about it. Unless you're in an unhealthy situation right then in front of your kids, you don't want to address it in front of your kids. Never put it off. Number two, never call names. Never call names. Never, ever. Number three, never raise your voice. The Bible says that a harsh word stirs up anger. This one's going to be tough. Never get historical. Wives, you got to put them lists away. Like, you got to delete that note out of your phone. I know you've been writing and you may never say it, but it's like 14 pages long. You got to delete that thing. Okay? Because what's happened is that's just stirring in your heart. Right? You got to delete that thing. Never say never or always. Don't do it. And this one is big. And I have a personal reason for telling you this, but never threaten divorce. Never. It's not an option. My family growing up, my dad was a tremendous man. But his downfall, the only downfall that he had, and I would tell this to his face if he was alive today, was he struggled with conflict. Okay, he struggled with conflict, and especially in his marriage relationships. In fact, so he was married seven times in his life. And so, and I know, that was my reaction too. Um, <laughs> but one thing that Carmen and I decided when we got married was that divorce was a cuss word literally take it and cut it out of the dictionary. Like, that's not an option. Like, in fact, to the point where after we, we, we disagree, believe it or not, we disagree sometimes. We have to let each other know, I'm here. I got you. I'm your man. You're my girl. We got this. We're going to make it through this. It's going to be okay. We have this. Never, ever use divorce as a weapon. Never, ever use divorce as a weapon. Number two, I will focus on the good things in you. Let me tell you a story really quick that happened to me yesterday. I was at Chick-fil-A, don't judge me, and um, with my kids, and I was standing in line. I was kind of stressed, right? I, it was just me and my kids, and so I had Miles in this hand, and Ethan's wanting to go play, and y'all know the battle, okay? So we're in line, and, and the way the, the Woodlands um, Chick-fil-A line goes is kind of confusing. This lady was on this line, and this lady was on this line, and, and this lady cut me, y'all. She cut me. She didn't even see my... So she cut me, and the whole time, Carmen knows my reaction to being cut, I, I was like, oh, Lord, oh, I'm going to pray for her in Jesus' name. Right here, I'm going to slap my hand on her forehead. And just go, Jesus. I was struggling with it. I was struggling with it. Well, then we go through the line, and finally, I get a little distracted because my kids are crazy and whatnot. And we get to the front line, and we finish ordering, and then we go up to the side, and Ethan goes and plays, hallelujah. And, uh, and then she turns to me. I'm sitting there waiting on my food, and she says, Oh, Vibrant Church. I was like, yeah. She said, 
she said, my best friend goes to Vibrant Church. I heard the pastor's kind of funny. I think I might come check it out. I said, oh, I think you should. He's pretty funny. He's pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) Philippians 4 and 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is, tr- whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. In the conflict, I needed to think about those things. I felt like in that, in that moment, God reminded me, hey, stupid, you might pastor some of these people. Right? I, I felt like God reminded me in the moment of what I was gonna preach that today is you've gotta find out what the whatever is. Whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is righteous, you gotta find the whatever right in the middle of the conflict. Right in the middle when you're mad and all you wanna do is pick up stones and throw them. Come on, somebody. Like, you gotta find the whatever. You gotta find that whatever. Number three, I will apply God's grace to you. I will apply God's grace to you. I I love how... You know, we pray these prayers, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, and those are amazing. But in reality, the way we act is we're we're going, God, forgive me, but punish them. God, forgive me, but hurt them. Not not me, them, 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 hurt them, right? It's amazing how much grace we can receive, but how little of it we can give. The hardest, it's the hardest thing to apply grace to someone that is hurting you or slamming you but you've got to build an altar with the stones that you could stone them with. Romans 12, 19 through 21 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. I'm gonna remember that with a lady cut me again. Um, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed feed him. I I let her go first, so she got to eat first. Um, If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I don't wish that on her. Um, (laughs) Do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome by good. See, this last one in number four, uh, number four, I will remember God's grace to me. I will remember God's grace to me. When I remember God's grace to me, now I have the capacity to do it for others. When I remember my sin, their sin doesn't look too bad. When I remember what God saves me from, my momentary anger doesn't seem as important. I want to give you a real life example of this. In fact, I think they're coming in the the door right now. My wife and my son, Ethan, um, he's not coming. He said, nope. Didn't want to leave class. Carmen, come here, baby. Um, My wife, Carmen, is amazing. Y'all love Carmen? I'll pay y'all for that later. I'm just kidding. Let me just brag on my wife real quick. So she's a nurse, and she works at night. And so she's in the middle of four nights work. So she works 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., came straight to the church this morning. She'll be here for a while, and then she goes back to work tonight at 7 p.m. Isn't she amazing? She's awesome. She's a dream. Um, come here, baby. You step up. You good? Step into the light. I want to make sure that camera gets you. you know, help me look a little better. But Carmen, she did something um, with Ethan that was tremendous last week. 
um, or maybe it was two weeks ago, but it was recently, that Ethan did something that normally we would have been very upset about. Okay, Carmen had just cleaned and the floors were all clean and, and wives, y'all know that's super important, right? The floors were all clean and everything was shiny and I mean, you could like eat off the floor. Not that you would, but you could, you know what I'm saying? But my son decided he got his sandwich and he decided to eat the sandwich, not over the table, but over himself, which made the crumbs go everywhere on the floor. Now, normally, in normal situations, I would be like, Ethan, come on, bro. You're five years old. You're big boy. Let's go. Come on, step it up. It's time. <laughs> like, you're not one. Like, come on. He groaned. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but Carmen gave grace to him and said, it's okay, baby. It's just an accident. It's an accident. And I was like, hmm, okay. That's cool. That's really cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> well, then I had a situation happen this last week where me and my son, we were in a fierce fight in Starship Legos. I mean, it was, it was, we were blasting and it was fierce, right? And I had this big Lego ship that he had spent hours on um, because I'm not going to let him get the big ship. I'm getting the big ship. I pay the mortgage. Come on, somebody. But I had the... Y'all get that tomorrow, it's okay. But I had the big ship, and I was, I was running around the house, and your boy just blew a tire, okay? I just, I was running, and I just, I blew a tire, and the spaceship went down, and I could see it in slow motion. I would still see it in my eyes. And the Legos just exploded everywhere, guys. It was everywhere. And, and I could tell, I was like, oh, man, Ethan's going to be so mad. And he turns around, and he looks at me, and he says, Hey, Dad, it's okay. It's an accident. <laughs> See, Carmen instilled grace in him. And so he used grace on me. For you to win conflict, for you to install grace correctly, you've got to remember God's grace to you in the beginning. You've got to go back to the time where you, you crashed the ship. You got to go back to the time where you messed up royally and you knew it was a you problem. It was a you issue. Would you stand with me across the room today? Some of you right now are in the middle of turmoil. You're right now in the middle of, of, of conflict in your life. I want to tell you right now in the middle of your conflict, in the middle of your mess, God's grace is sufficient for you. Right now, when there's struggle, when your marriage is a struggle, God's grace is sufficient for you. Some of you need to step into that grace and allow God to renew your heart. You need to allow God to renew your heart and your mind and transform you. I promise you it'll change your marriage. I promise you it'll change your relationships. Those of you that are single, I promise you it'll change the way you, you talk to people at school. I promise you it'll change the way those of you that are dating, it'll change the way that you talk to them. Maybe for some of you, church is brand new and you're wanting to, uh, you know, you're wanting to commit your heart to God for the first time. And, and, and maybe this is brand new to you. I want to I help you right now. In fact, if you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time or you want to recommit your heart to God, I wish that you would just bow your head with me and pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I realize my life is messed up. 
I realize that I'm a sinner, that I need your grace and mercy. Today, I see the error of my ways and I surrender my heart to what you want to do in me, in my mind, in my family, in my relationships. I recognize that you died for me on a cross so I could be transformed, so I could be saved, so I could be delivered, so I could be redeemed. Today I believe you are my Lord and Savior and I turn my life over to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that, keep your head bowed, eye closed. If you prayed that.